This is Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Primal Screen is about movies, from the ones on the big screen to the ones you stream. Hope you enjoy the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. Hello and welcome to Primal Screen, a Triple R film criticism show and podcast. I'm Sally Christie. Uh, joining me in the virtual studio is the wonderful Flick Ford. How are you, Flick? I'm good, Sal. How are you doing? Good. And of course, Paul Anthony Nelson. How are you, Paul? I'm great, Sal. Thank you. Does it feel um, strange, this being changed around? It's, it's, it's a little weird. It's a little, it's you know, what fresh weird. hell is this? It's pretty weird for me. <laughs> Great. I'm loving it. (laughs) Yeah, you can relax for the week. So another unheard of thing that we're looking at, or at least here in Victoria, is we are covering three new releases. Remember those? We don't get many of them down here in Melbourne, but we've got a few this week. Finally. (laughs) We've become like an old country town. I know. Down in Melbourne, there's nothing happening in Melbourne now. (laughs) Ballarat film releases. That's what we've become now for Australia's version. Oh, no. So first up, we are going to be taking a trip down to the Gothic South with Antonio Campos's latest The Devil All the Time. Then things are going to get a little surreal with Charlie Kaufman's mind-bending I'm Thinking of Ending Things. And finally, I um, if we don't already have Zoom fatigue, we're going to add to that with the indie horror that has been made entirely on Zoom, Rob Savage's host. Uh, we've got a couple of news items, not many. So although this isn't film related, I do feel it's important to acknowledge the passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. She uh, passed away over the weekend at the age of 87. Uh, She was the second female to become Justice of the US Supreme Court and spent much of her legal career as an advocate for gender equality and women's rights. Uh, A couple of years ago when it was released here, well, when we were Plato's Cave, um, we covered the documentary RBG, which was really fantastic. And if you do want to check it out and see what Ruth Bader Ginsburg's legacy was, you can really easily access that on Doc Play. Did Paul and Flick, did either of you see that doco when it was released? I missed it and I heard so many good things about it. I think it was just seeing too many films. Maybe now is a good time to catch up. It really is. And yeah, it's a really good one. Paul, have you seen it? No, same, same. Yeah, it it is. It's really worth it. We covered it here and it was um, one of my, there's a really, no spoilers in here, but there was a really excellent uh, sequence of her uh, daily workout routine um, of her weights that she would do every morning. And she's just a powerhouse and just such an important figure, I think, in um, in the women's rights. Another little... Sorry, wouldn't it have been amazing if it had been like Robert De Niro at the start of Cape Fear? If they'd just done like the close-up on her back, she's doing those lifts and the muscles. Oh, I've got... <laughs> that Bernard Herman music over the top. It was just got... pull out. RBG is... Just pumping weights. Uh, look, somebody needs to animate that. <laughs> like they do. That's just burned in my head. I can just see that with her back tattoo. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Like she's coming for Trump. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, also, another little news item this week is Queer Screen um, Film Festival is still happening online, which it's running to the 27th of September. So if you are interested in checking out to see um, what they have available, just pop on to queerscreen.org.au. Okay. 
and join us for Alpha's film. Telling me that I should, as the new preacher of this church, sacrifice myself so that y'all can have a share of the good meat tonight. And that's what I'm going to do, friends. I'm going to eat these orange. Because I model myself on the good Lord Jesus whenever he gives me the chance. And today, he's blessed me with another opportunity to follow in his footsteps. Antonio Campos's adaptation of the novel of the same name, The Devil All the Time, is a story of multiple generations impacted by violence in the heartland of America. It chronicles a young man devoted to protecting his loved ones in a town full of corruption and sinister characters. Uh, shot on 35mm film, The Devil All the Time premiered on Netflix last week with the incredible cast of Robert Pattinson. Well, at least I think he's incredible. Um, Tom Holland, Riley Keogh, to name and to name a few. Uh, so this has been, I think, pretty highly anticipated. Paul, what did you think of the Devil all the time? I keep wanting to say all the Devil all the time. I don't know. Why I know. I, I can never. The, the The title doesn't gel in my head. I no. keep having to really look over it to make sure I have it correct. Yeah, it's just all the devil all the time to me. And it's like, no, it's just one all. Um, yeah, I dug this. I um I wasn't I, I think in the end it's sort of it's one of the better like outside of you know big ticket stuff like um Roma and the Irishman, I think this is one of the best Netflix originals. Um it didn't feel like that for a while though. It's interesting. It actually feels like a novel unfolding on screen. It's got this restless, sometimes rambling structure that at first, at least for a while, seems kind of overstuffed and aimless and there's so many characters you kind of like. Um, and there's this interconnectivity that it flags right up, right up front, which is like these are very small towns. Everybody knows everybody. And if everybody isn't directly connected, then they're one degree away. Mm-hmm. Um, but it gradually coheres um, and sort of focuses on these sort of, you know, four kind of um, strains. Um, you know, you've, you've got, um, you know, you've got Tom Holland and, and um, uh, Robert Pattinson and Tom Holland's sister, played by Eliza Scanlon, and and then you've got uh, Riley Keough, and you've got um, Jason Clarke, and then you've sort of got you know there's these sort of strange and and uh, Sebastian Stan, of course. Um, the cast in this is insane. Like yeah, it really it's is. it's crazy who it's Kurt Campbell. too much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I thought that too. It's just like oh my goodness. <laughs> it's yeah. It, it is wild and. They and I think they they're pretty much terrific across the board in this too. Even though some of their accents aren't, um, their their performances are all really terrific. Um, it's very look. I mean, I think there's a lot about this that is going to see fam- seem familiar to people, um, and kind of well worn. It's very um, it's very kind of traditional Southern Gothic, mm. but I think in the end it's incredibly satisfying Southern Gothic. Um, and what I think I like most about it is. I think it's best when it's a cautionary tale of the corrosive nature of unblinking religious fervor. Mm-hmm. What I loved about this film is like whenever somebody got really into believing in God, it made their life incredibly worse. <laughs> uh, and it was sort of super interesting. Um, and, you know, and, but it's particularly when belief systems are valued above lives, above, you know, human, animal or otherwise, that's when things start to go wrong. Um, and it's and it's interesting because you know there's so many American films where Satan is the enemy and you know there's satanic belief and this one it's Christian belief is the one that often leads people down dark paths or at least using Christian belief as 
uh, as a shield to get in and do darker things. Um, lovely touch getting the author to, to narrate. I thought that was very cool. And I just, I liked, I liked Sebastian Stan doing his Tom Sizemore from the 90s impersonation. <laughs> it just felt like this is totally a role Sizemore would play in 1995. And, and I'm with you, Sal. I think Pattinson is in this vein of his career where it's like every time he shows up, you're like, oh, this character's going to be a trip. <laughs> I just, I, I've, in the last, I would say, two years, I just, anything that he, I'm, I'm so drawn to him. I think that anything he's in is worth my time. And most of the time I'm, I'm correct with that. <laughs> he's I become like- that sort of like millennial Chris Walken. Like, you know what I mean? Like he's sort of in that sort of like, like when Walken was younger, I guess. Mm. I feel like. Harfats is getting so much of the attention, though, for this film, like all the hype around this film. And he is really spectacular. He is like we kind of almost expect it of him now. But I actually think Tom Holland was the standout for me in this. He's great. It's a lot. He plays a a lot more of a reserved character and a lot more complex. And I think there's, there's way more emotional complexity to his role and his character that I think that Arpats is, of course, great, but I don't think he has much to play with. He brings a lot to it. But um, oh, here's yeah, the, I, flashy, the flashy yeah. supporting role just comes yeah. in, leaves fire and leaves. Like, yeah, he's, yeah. And, his, and his frilly shirt as well. Which is- <laughs> <laughs> Lousing shirt. But, I yeah, that, um, I agree. I heard that he had, um, Arpats had looked into, um, you know, TV preachers and like use that. I, I was actually like, wondering that because when, <laughs> yeah. when I was watching it, I was like, is there like a touch of Jim Jones here? Where is he getting, you know, where, what's his reference point? So that's interesting mm. to know, Flick. Yeah. I mean, this is such an interesting film for Netflix to have even been involved with. I mean, 35mm, it's, it, you're right. I agree with you, Paul. I think it's one of the stronger um, offerings that it, um, Netflix has given us. And, I had such high expectations from this because I feel like the trailer was really gripping and I kept seeing it when I was binge watching whatever show. So I was very like keen to watch this and also worried that it would fall flat. I think I agree that I think the narrator, I usually hate narration in cinema, um, but I actually think that the choice of having the author narrate and because they're playing around with time so much, the narration does actually serve a purpose. I think there are moments when it could have been taken out and the scene could have been allowed to sit for itself. Um, I thought it was interesting that Tom Holland is the main character, but it doesn't appear until like 45, 46 mm. minutes in. That, and I think that's because there's so much emphasis placed on creating space here and a place. And perhaps because it's based on a book, that sense of, of this town is so apparent and so evocative. And you, I, um, I thought that was really the strength of this film. And the characters are all quite believable in a weird way, even though they're, they're so dark. I mean, it's hard to find a, a really sympathetic um, character amongst them all. I mean, Tom Holland's character is probably the most sympathetic and he has a pretty high body count <laughs> mm. at the end of the film. So I, um, it's a really fascinating world to go into. I do have some issues with it um I think that upon reflection I really got into it last night in fact at one point I had to pause it just to have a little break because I found it really um overwhelming um I found that sometimes the characters were a little bit one note so for instance his sister is kind of she's bullied by the boys outside of school and he comes to her rescue and she remains largely a victim through the entire film and even with his auntie she kind of is the same and 
even even Arvin himself, he he kind of stays in this in this kind of one set. He probably has the most um, you know development out of all of the characters, but yet he still is kind of stays a little bit in this one role. Um, I do think that the all of the characters are so interesting and so well thought out as characters, but they don't necessarily have a complicated trajectory to go with it. Like they don't have a journey mm. that they go on. And not that you always have to have it, but I think there needs to be some of that. Um, so it kind of takes us to this interesting town. We meet these interesting characters, but I think over the course of what is a very long film, there's not a lot of change or development. It's as though the film is kind of saying, not as, as simple as religion is bad, but, you know, like the violence behind religion is some, and violence of mankind is kind of hidden in different ways and can be corrupted through, you know, the fever of, of religious belief and um, those sorts of things. So I think that it's like he goes in there with that idea and then it stays at that point. Having said that, I do have a particular love of really visceral violence on screen and I think this film is exceptional for it there's bits where like characters get stabbed in the neck with like a screwdriver and then another (laughs) character gets like the side of their body like completely hacked away out with a hammer I just like some part of me was like this is amazingly well choreographed Um, I think I just wanted it to maybe have a bit more development and a little bit more art- artistry. I mean, there's some beautiful moments, but they just could have gone a bit deeper maybe and, mm. and, and perhaps like tighter structuring and editing. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I do think this film, it's, it's commentary on, I guess, trauma that's passed down from generation to generation was very interesting. Um, and there are so many characters that we have in this in this film that – there were ones that I wanted to see more of that I didn't get to see more of those characters. Uh, in particular, um, Riley Keogh's character, I, I was I wanted to see more of their story. I wanted to know more about them. And I guess this is the limitations where, like you said, Flick, it is a relatively long film. It goes for about two and a half hours. Um, so there are these limitations to how many of these characters we get to see. Um, but, yeah, I, I did find it. A really a, quite a satisfying film but that was kind of my one big well, not big issue but I just I did want to see more character development come through here for sure and it reminded me a little bit in I just felt like it didn't kind of take things all the way when we looked at that uh Neil Jordan's film Greta I think it was last year was it oh god no you are not about to <laughs> favorably compare anything to Greta. We, we uh, both, that was last year. Uh, it was last year. We yeah. both kind of were on the same page with Greta. And my my big complaint with that film is it just kind of felt like it was almost at one point, but it didn't go all the way. Yes, and yes, I yes. felt this way uh, about the devil all the time as well. Like it, it just, it was kind of teetering there, but we didn't quite get there in the end. But it, it was, it was really great. And also like, it is pretty phenomenal that Netflix are taking more of these films on, mm, like fil- films that sort of seem to be quite good quality. I think, for well, for me in the past with Netflix, I've found a lot of their, you know, TV shows, documentaries, that sort of thing to be quite engaging, but their films perhaps not so much. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think, it, yeah, it's good to kind of see that development here. And also this adaptation from, you know, film to novel, which we're going to look at again with Charlie Kaufman's I'm Thinking of Ending Things, these flavours that are coming through in the the way that I guess these are interpreted is, yeah, very, very interesting stuff for sure. 
Yeah, like it, it having something that's shot on thirty five and has this kind of cast and takes like this film, like because you know that takes its time to tell its story. Mm. All really interesting moves for Netflix to get. Like you know that none of these things are necessarily something that are, you would equate with a streaming platform. Absolutely not. And was that? Yeah. Do you think this is because of the Irishman that this has happened? Maybe. I mean, I think yeah. that. I mean, because they're, they're getting Oscar nominations and things like that. Yeah. So I think, and Roma as well. And I think they do kind of want to be a bit of a studio. And mm-hmm. so they kind of like, you know, all right, we'll do our, you know, Kissing Booth Part 4 or whatever and we'll do, you know, pick up all our other films that have that really weird middling Netflix film and in inverted commas kind of feel. But everyone's all, we'll pick up something prestige like this that might nab us some nominations down the mm-hmm. line. I've got to say, I agree with you both about the character development thing. I thought the most interesting character was probably early on was um, Bill Skarsgård's character. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he yeah. was. Who did have a yeah. turn. Like, yeah. he almost has the biggest turn in the film. Like, so, Apparently mm. Tom Holland based his um, com- comportment and, like, the, his body acting on um, oh. on, on his – yeah, so that he had that mirroring. And, like, there's the father-son thing. Which, yeah. yeah, and the scenes in which they've gone for the exact same camera angle when they're sh- shooting father and son. So, like, sense of oh, time cool. and repetition of violence is really well communicated in this film. Like, mm-hmm. that's its strength, I think. Yeah, for mm. sure. Yeah. So if you are wanting to check out The Devil All The Time, it is currently streaming on Netflix. You're listening to Primal Screen on 3RRR. Triple R on FM, digital, online, and via the app. You're listening to Primal Screen on 3 Triple R with Flick Forward, Paul Anthony Nelson, and myself, Sally Christie. Um, so, will you join us in the lounge room for our next film? I've never experienced anything like it. I'm thinking of ending things. Huh? What? Did you say something? I don't think so. Weird. I'm visiting Jake's parents for the first time. He hasn't been my boyfriend for very long. They really are looking forward to meeting you. I think you're ending things. Nothing is as it seems when a woman played by Jessie Buckley is experiencing misgivings about her new boyfriend, Jake, played by Jessie Plemons. So even though she is thinking of ending things, she joins him on a road trip to meet his parents at their remote farm. Another book-to-screen adaptation tonight as director Charlie Kaufman offers up perhaps his most surreal work to date while still remaining firmly focused on his favourite topics, love, loss and memory. Another Netflix film. Flick, what did you think of I'm Thinking of Ending Things? (laughs) actually dreading talking about this tonight because I I oh, I don't know I feel like I'm a massive Kaufman fan but I've really it's hard it's, yeah mm. I um had such high expectations for this film and I feel like everyone I've spoken to has loved it so I have kind of been thinking like oh maybe I should revisit this uh because, but I just also don't want to. So mm-hmm. I think, so Kaufman, of course, this is like classic Kaufman, okay? He's, he loves talking about kind of slightly pathetic uh, white middle-aged men who are usually in this like kind of intellectual profession and like they've, they've got crippling neuro- neuroses, they've got these strange little tendencies and tics. So this is like classic Kaufman and that is totally fine. Like I really love him as a writer. Cynic Doc in New York I adored. Um, that's, you know, one of his films he directed. Um, but like even like his, um, you know, adaptation, being John Malkovich that he wrote, it's kind of like those stories are, and those films are so 
dear to me. Like it's kind of they've been very formative in my um, yeah yep. my kind of education. I, I, I think that mo- most film students, he's very for yeah. very near and totally. Dear. Yeah. I was I was talking to a friend the other day about adaptation. I'm like that really does not get the praise it needs. I think it's no. you know hilarious. And he, those films, all of those previous films that I mentioned. They've got a humour to it that I think is really missing from this film and that's not, you know, that's fine. I think it's conscious decision. It's not a mistake. Um, there are moments of humour in this but it's kind of the tone is so different and perhaps mm. I just wasn't in the right headspace because I found this a very difficult watch. Mm. I found it quite unpleasant um, having uh, Jessie, what's her name? She's in Buckley. Buckley, Buckley yep. of course. She's fascinating. I really like her as an actor. I think she's going to be gone to do even more better things. Like she already has done a lot of really amazing things. I liked her in Beast which we reviewed previously in the show. I like her a lot as an actor and I think that she's got some really fascinating little sparks through this film and like really powerful um monologues and stuff like that she she's quoting so I enjoyed her performance but I maybe empathized with her too much and I found it difficult to stay in that space where she's constantly pleading to go home and you know it actually reminded me a little bit of Darren Aronofsky's mother where you're, you're watching like Jennifer Lawrence being like gaslighted for two hours um I felt a bit the same watching this um I think that there's a tendency with Kaufman to sometimes present his female characters almost in this kind of fantasy style which I have liked in the past but I found this one where she's unknowable to herself um really quite trying um I do think it's a really interesting film but I don't know that I was interested enough to to want to de- delve deeper into it. I get, you know, there's so much you can unpick in this film, but I think I had a lot of issues with this idea of like, you know, this this kind of the great artist and how, uh, I don't want to give away any spoilers, so I just think I had a lot of, I think the gender politics in this film was slightly off and maybe that's the point and I'm just meant to feel uncomfortable for this whole time and so, you know, well done, Kaufman. But um, I don't know, I just wasn't into it and I, I think there's moments of brilliance and like really original and incredibly inventive scenes um and really strong performances like it's got a again an all you know star-studded cast so all the elements are there I just don't know whether I even wanted to be in that world it's interesting yeah. with you saying flick sorry sorry Paul to interrupt but you just saying with Charlie Kaufman's work with you know sort of your formative years and getting interested in film where I, I kind of had that sort of same reaction where it's like have I outgrown this? Mm, exists yeah. this point of uh, kind of point where I've outgrown this. But yeah, mm. kind of food for thought. Sorry, Paul, go on. Go yeah, on. I, I thought you'd like. I was actually relieved it was a female protagonist for a change. <laughs> but then, because there's almost yeah. never, um, like female yeah, protagonist I, with a with a disclaimer. But yeah, yeah, I don't know. Like I, I found her as confused and and you know in their own head as any of his male protagonists, but. Yeah, I think the answer is because for me, Adaptation and Eternal Sunshine were my favourite films of the 2000s, literally my two favourite films of that decade. I think he absolutely. And then with being John Malkovich on top of that, from that sort of 99 to like, he like it was just the new voice of the early 21st century. Mm. I think the problem is I don't think, I think he needs a director. I think he needs mm. a visionary director to translate him 
to mm. an audience. I think whenever he's put in, and I, because I found this with Synecdoche in New York as well, and I like that more on second viewing, and maybe I'll like this more on second viewing as well. But I find his films, and I, because see, I wasn't really a fan of Animalisa at all. Yeah, um, neither. Because it had that kind of depressed <laughs> white middle aged dude yes. thing going on. Yeah. And it was like, and maybe there's more, but yeah, I don't know. As I just don't feel like uh, my enthusiasm for Kaufman as a director doesn't quite match his, uh, my enthusiasm for him as a writer. Mm. I, having said that, as a director, he is flat out coming for David Lynch's title <laughs> as America's foremost popular cinematic surrealist. Yeah. Like, it's just like, and I think the reason you feel uncomfortable, Flick, is I think this is a horror movie. Yeah, I believe I, it. I thought, I thought that as well when I was watching it. Yeah. I, I felt like it was a horror movie. Um, pretty much right from the word go, I felt like it was a horror movie with that yeah. that, that tension in the car. Mm. Uh, that's the thing. And I think that I, I don't know about the novel. Apparently the book's a lot um, – apparently the movie is a lot more complex than the novel. I've, I've read places online, and that's always true. Um, <laughs> um, but, yeah, this is kind of it, – it's, it's, it's even more free-formed, insanely detailed and – frankly baffling than Synecdoche in New York. I think it's for me it was at its best when straddling that line between awkward comedy of manners and sheer uncanny valley existential terror. Um like there's moments where people change, you know, suddenly they're older and suddenly they've they've got their like yellower teeth or things on their face. It just creeped me the hell out. Mm. Um and I think that there's um there's like the first two thirds of this I was completely on board. I was like, I love this. I love this whole, this is what you, ex- you know, like her wanting to leave and the, all these possible scenarios of what her life might be like if she stayed um, were really interesting. Then there's, then they turn off about two thirds of the way through and go to a school. And after that, it just completely lost me. I was Bit like. Where they're driving towards the school, I think is the worst thing. <laughs> like I couldn't stand it where she's like, yeah. I don't want to go. <laughs> And yeah, he's driving. Oh my god! And then she recites Triggered. a Pauline Kale review for five minutes. But like, it's just really there's, there's stuff in here that's just like, it's just a bit too much movie. And and that's how I feel about Kaufman as a director. I think between this and Synecdoche, and I like Synecdoche more, but they both feel like too much movie. Whereas Eternal Sunshine and Adaptation of Being John Malkovich felt like perfect diamonds. And I feel like he needs not just any old director, like he needs a Gondry or a Jones to kind of funnel his his sort of that that insanely detailed brain of his into a digestible form that's still visionary and still unlike anything that's come before, but stuff that you know we kind of understand. Having said that. There and that's the thing. I agree, Flick. I think by the end it gets a little bit tedious, and that I think it will probably reward repeat viewings for those willing to kind of go back and excavate it. But I think it's yeah. going to wear the patience of everyone else. <laughs> mm. um, but having said that, there is a Robert Zemeckis joke in here that is a gigantic burn. <laughs> yeah, it is, isn't it? <laughs> but I am. Um... Had, a, I think, a really similar experience to you, Flick, watching this. <laughs> and I've even in my notes got down a whole list of reasons as to why this film possibly didn't gel with me. And I, I think one of them is the space that I was watching it in. And I do genuinely mm. think that that was something to do with it. Yeah. Where, you know, here in Melbourne, we're in strict quarantine, we can't go to the cinema. And I think for me watching this in a cinema, it, it would have been a completely different experience for mm-hmm. me. Um, 
environment is, I think, a big thing for me when I'm watching a film and it was a kind of a situation where I was watching this on a laptop in my bed with headphones on and it's oh just like God, this, so. isn't how this, this isn't how <laughs> no. this film is meant to be watched. Yeah. And it, in some ways it did add to it because I had this incredible experience with the sound design mm. um, throughout the film but the, the claustrophobia was there through the sound but not through the vision, which I think, you know, is kind of meant to be communicated here. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's that kind of thing where it's like with Netflix, it, it's great that these, um, you know, directors are having these opportunities but us not being able to have the opportunity to see it in the cinema I think is pretty uh, depressing as well to an extent. I, yeah, I, I do think it would have been a, a very different experience for me. I am... Um, thought the performances were all incredible uh I thought how, that uh, how much is I'm sorry how much is Jesse becoming just like Philip Seymour Hoffman <laughs> I love <laughs> Jesse Plymouth so well, well at least he's, this is he's his son Philip and the master it's it's yeah he plays his son and the master yeah. and it's yeah, the yeah. perfect casting destined. choice and yeah. and Tony Collette the first the dinner sequence in this is mm. I, I loved it. Mm. it it was it totally was it so horrendous to mm. watch um but yeah he really is Philip Seymour Hoffman um I, I do kind of agree with I think that he does need a director as well it's I spent all weekend watching um which I always love that Spike Jones is involved with this I spent all weekend watching Jackass and I was thinking about how the two were totally separate but intertwined <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I I really, really, really wanted to love this and I really mm. I, I didn't. There were aspects yeah. of it which I thought were, yeah, really incredible but I don't know. I, I, I felt like I should and, yeah, like I said, I've written down this list of possible reasons why I didn't like it. I wasn't in the right frame of mind. I was in the wrong space. I was doing, I I was doing that. I completely agree with you. I feel like we've been through enough with this year. <laughs> I didn't need to sit through this. No. It's, <laughs> it's kind of punishing. Like it is yeah. just two and a half hours of this. And it's like and an hour and a half of this, I would have been like, yeah, this would want to be yes. one of my best mm. films of the year. But two yep. and a half hours is just too much. It's too mm. much. It's too much movie. Yeah. Yeah. Even the um the the opening the drive down there, it was like, oh, I don't know how much of this I can take. And I found the dialogue to be so overtly hipster dialogue. And <laughs> I, like I think that every 19-year-old um, film school student is going to love this film. Exactly. And, I actually, yeah. and I think that's made for them and I do. Yeah. And it, it's kind of that yeah. thing like we were saying, Flick, I, I, I would have loved this when I was yes. 19. I would have I absolutely yeah. loved this film. But now I, I was thinking, am I turning into my parents? I'm just not. <laughs> getting this. I actually, I'm yep. so grateful that I'm not single right now because I think that if you were dating <laughs> and having to have this man explain to you, this would be a very unpleasant experience. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I yeah, I it's funny. Uh, former Plato's Cave host Thomas Caldwell uh, posted somewhere online. It's like this is the kind of film he would have like reminded him of a lot of films he fell in love with when he was nineteen and kind of an emerging film student. And yeah, so it's interesting you say that. Yeah, I, I would have found this so profound when I was nineteen. Yeah. I just I yeah, would've. I, I would have. Yeah. yeah, that's the thing. It's hard to admit on a show like this, but I, I'll admit once they went to that school, like I flat out did not get what was going on. Like, like by the time we get to the pig with the with the innards falling out and the maggots and the and the dancing, and it's like I don't know what they're doing. I, I like I don't you know what's happening. On it, the pig with the maggots falling out and the dancing, <laughs> beautiful. <laughs> 
poster quote. I think it's so because we don't care to find out. I think yeah. that's what it is. It's not like I'm sure there's films where it's been a complete puzzle and you're like, oh, wow, I think, you know, because you're engaged in it, whereas mm. I just switched off. I think I wasn't even trying, yeah. <laughs> in all honesty. Yeah, yeah, I felt like that as well. Mm. But it's still, it was, it's an absolutely gorgeous-looking film and there is there is a lot of, of you know, incredible things happening here, but it's hard. It was a yeah. very hard watch. But if you feel so inclined to um, giving it a go, I'm thinking of ending things is now streaming on Netflix. You might be thinking of ending things after you watch it. (laughs) Triple R. You're listening to Primal Screen on 3 Triple R with Flick Ford, Paul Anthony Nelson and myself, Sally Christie. Why don't you join us on the couch for our final film of the evening? Caroline. Oh, there she is. Uh, Caroline. Hey, dude. Caroline, she's got her audio on. Caroline, I think so. Yeah. Hello, friend. Oh wait, isn't this is awesome. her background? Oh yeah, you're right. Yeah, I'm gonna give her a call. Six friends hire a medium to hold a seance via Zoom during lockdown, but they get far more than they have bargained for as things quickly go wrong. Filmed entirely on Zoom under strict COVID-19 quarantine conditions, Host is the film that we all knew was coming. I think it just happened a little quicker than we expected it to. Um, Yeah, I I always assumed that a film like this would come out of – coronavirus but yeah it was very quick what did you think of host paul much to my surprise this is my favorite film of the night i love this movie i think it's genuinely i think it's genuinely creepy it's got some great scares it's tightly constructed 56 minutes long i mean is there anything wrong with that you know Um, not at all (laughs) it's so great um when you know and it's scheduled to go just longer than a than an extended zoom meeting um (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this is like alarmingly agile. It was conceived in March, and the way it picks picks up on and utilizes the tropes of Zoom calls and COVID era living. Like one of the characters mentions at one point, oh, they shouldn't have moved in together at the start of lockdown because, like, all this stuff is like we've had months to get used to. It's like how are they so onto this stuff so quickly? Um, our killer Carl Chapman has just said, we are in a Zoom. Meta. Yeah, Thanks, this is very meta that this is happening. <laughs> it's actually yeah. making me scared just being like, oh, <laughs> With the ghosts the in the background. <laughs> <laughs> and, and things like the way it weaponizes virtual backgrounds and face filters and all this sort mm-hmm. of stuff to terrifying or darkly funny effect. Um, and... But it's, yeah, I just, I thought it was really, really clever. And I liked the characters weren't too annoying. It was interesting because after watching this and really digging it, people were going, oh, but have you seen Unfriended, which is a film that came out a few years mm. ago about a, a Skype call that was haunted. And we did. <laughs> haunted I, we, Skype yeah. call. They're all haunted, aren't they? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I always have issues. <laughs> oh, okay. Skype is haunted at the moment, Sorry. I think. Zoom's left <laughs> them in the dust. Yeah. Probably shouldn't but- be slagging off brands. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're community radio. We're punk. <laughs> um, but there's but I think I think this is better than Unfriended in a way that I think this actually has a likable cast of characters. And look, there's, you know, there, there's some little details here and there that you could probably quibble with, like character puts uh, what is presumably a phone on a selfie stick and looks in a 
looks at an attic when it's actually the laptop view that they're showing and things like that. But I think it's, um, you know, and, and then like you watch it and enjoy it and then you read about all the behind the scenes stuff, like because it was COVID and, and there were social restrictions, director Rob Savage had to direct his cast to stage their own practical effects and stunts and actually teach them how to do it. It's amazing, um, isn't it? It's phenomenal. It's like the future of filmmaking. <laughs> and it went from conception to release in 12 weeks. Like, yeah. I am just so incredibly, I mean, you know, you don't want to harp on, you know, how a film is made as opposed to the experience. But it was funny because we watched it not knowing any of this and loved it mm-hmm. and then read about all this stuff and my, my love for it has only deepened. Yeah. I, and, yeah, I think while Unfriended is also a very inventive type movie, I think this is, this is tighter and more likable and, and more of an old-fashioned ghost story, which I yeah. which I dug about it as well. Yeah, yeah this is great. I, yeah, I was um when I saw that it was a horror film, I you know, I'm like the resident scaredy cat, so I was not like thinking I would like it that much. Also, I accidentally put in a the in front of it and it came up with a completely different film called The Host. <laughs> Recommend the trailer looked ter- terrible. And we're not talking about the Bong Joon Ho classic. No, we're talking no, about the not. Stephanie Meyer adaptation. Oh, there's a twenty another twenty twenty. Oh okay. no, yeah, 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 the, the I, when, when I was doing my notes for some <laughs> I came across it. There's so many films wow. called The Host. I just want pe- listeners to to make sure they look up the right film. So Savage <laughs> twenty twenty. Yeah, <laughs> host, not the host. Anyhow, and I, so on I was, yeah, on Shutter. So I was not. I you know I was a little bit sort of apprehensive about watching this. I love this film so much. I think <laughs> it might also be my film of the week. I it prompted me to do this huge deep dive into Savage because I didn't know his work, and um, so I watched his his two. Um, he got this short film called Dawn of the Deaf, which is actually available. To, to watch on Vimeo now. It goes for like 10, 11 minutes. It's really excellent. It's really well done. The sound design is amazing. Um, and it also, I found the video that apparently this film is based on, which he basically did a Zoom call with his friends and pretended that his he was like mentioning that he had this weird sound in his attic. And he was like, oh, I think he's just going to check on it. And he, he set up a prank, of course, where he's like goes up there and then there's this thing screaming. And even knowing that, okay, this is the, the Zoom call that this is based on, I still screamed. <laughs> it's petrifying, that tweet, isn't it? Because yeah. it ends up going viral. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I And I just, like, jumped out of my, my seat. I, I've had so much fun with this. I So I, you know how you were saying before, Sal, when we were talking about Kaufman's new film and you're watching at home with your laptop and your headphones, I did that for this one without really um, knowing much about it. I actually didn't know any of the, the story around it. I came in completely blind to this. And such a great way to watch it, like sat there on my laptop as I've been doing all these, you know, Zoom chats in lockdown already and it just was so immersive and I think it's such a creative use of the current um, situation of, of what we're in and what we're relating to. Um, Yeah, it's amazingly well-timed film and because they were able to get it out so quickly, um, amazing jump scares. Um, and I really liked the characters as well. I thought it was believable. Mm, yeah, mm. yeah. Um, very believable. Like they didn't kind of demonise any characters as such. No. It was kind of you're all kind of in it together and they're not like as though they're particularly angelic. They're just like normal people and mm. it really added to it and I thought this was wonderful. And I love that they stayed with the whole aesthetics, like the closing credits, like the start yes. the closing credits are amazing. They're really clever. <laughs> yeah, and it's so familiar to us. So, mm-hmm. And one of the things, like I'm not a big, horror person but one thing I find really effective with horror is when 
they have markers of familiarity and of everyday life. And like, that's why horror films set in the home are so effective Mm -hmm. because we go back to that home after we've watched the film or we stay (laughs) in that home. And so we have all these visual markers as well in our lived experience that then set us off and remind us of how scary that is. We can picture ourselves in it. So yeah, I've, um, did get a little bit nervous being back on zoom after watching that film, but yeah, highly recommend it. You check out his other work as well. Yeah. This, um, for me, reading about this film, and I had heard about it for quite a while before I watched it, on paper this sounds like something I would never want to watch. Same. Um, a film, sounds like cinematic torture. Uh, a, it does. It sounds exactly <laughs> like that, something where there's a seance on Zoom uh, and it goes for an hour and it just sounds horrific. Um, I was recommended this film by a couple of people and I ended up, I'm, I'm also a high school teacher. I teach at year 12 media, which they're having a difficult time this year. And I thought, oh, well, maybe I'll show them this film for some inspiration. So that was the kind of, I, I, I streamed it with them because obviously I'm teaching from home. That was the first time I saw this film was with them and it was just, it blew my mind. I, I could not believe what a good film this was. Uh, it this It is so tight. The mm. storyline is so mm. incredible. And the thing that I found most sort of incredible about this film was the performances in it. They're yeah, all fantastic. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely he, fantastic. And he I, works with those actors a lot, as I've noticed. Through, mm. So I think there's that familiarity with his working style. So, yeah. And oh, nice. it, it's so easy, I think, especially with this kind of horror where the lead characters are either irritating or, you know, we get these kind of tropes that we see over and over again. But what exactly what you were saying, Flick, they're all quite likeable. Mm. Um, and what you were saying, Paul, these tropes that he's that we've got in sort of Zoom calls where these things are breaking up and all this is happening that we can instantly relate to this is phenomenal how quickly this has been put into mm. place. And I, I just, yeah, I absolutely adored this film. It was something that I did not expect it to be whatsoever i had a student of mine say that it was unfriended but good (laughs) (laughs) what's an unfriended where like yeah because unfriended unfriended, so i can't judge i I liked unfriended but they're all terrible people and the film hinges on the fact that they're all Mm. terrible people like host is like unfriended with people that you like and you 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 know their only fault is they just didn't take the seance seriously enough and needed to follow the damn rules that was it like this point i i suffer i think pretty badly from zoom fatigue i spend a lot of time working on the computer i feel like i'm always on zoom and to come away from a film that's made entirely on zoom and feel really joyous about it and go mm. wow somebody has taken this really shitty situation that we've in uh, that we're in at the moment and made some creative gold out of it mm. is yeah really breathtaking and- also, just as an aside, I think really inspirational for um, filmmakers who are just starting out, like yeah. budget yeah. filmmaking. It's like you don't actually need to do some massive $2 million. I think that as well. Project. The real strength in this yeah. is its its story. It's a very, very basic story. He's not trying to do anything new or crazy with it, but he does it very, very well. And he's got excellent performers and he's developed excellent characters. We, get it, we see enough of these characters to, you know, empathise with them and there is that kind of bit of character development 
development. We see a little bit of their lives and that is the real strength of this is the story of it and that's what kind of works for this. But the story itself, like I said, like other than the specifics of them being young, you know, millennial slash Zoomers and this being Zoom, the, the actual story, it's like a group of people, young people getting together to do a seance for fun. It's charmingly old-fashioned. Yeah. Yeah. It is, isn't it? Because it's yeah. kind of like, I feel like, you know, we've all been there. <laughs> it was, yeah. There's a really cute cameo from one of the actor's dads as well where he shows yeah. off his sunburn. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I liked all those moments. I think there's a lot of humour in this as well. Yes. I, and the comedy in it is great. I think yeah. the comedy is on point. Like there's one part where um, without giving away and, it, and I think there's a kind of a big, you know, scary part that's happening and one of the characters has a filter on her face. Yes. <laughs> it's hilarious. Yeah. Actually, one yeah, one of the scariest moments for me in the film was when um, something that we use is those like fake backgrounds of the video mm-hmm. backgrounds. I thought that was actually the scariest scene and it was yes. something that I hadn't ever seen used before because, of course, yeah. why would I? And it's, yeah, really exceptional scene, like so creative and quite upsetting. And the fact that you're yes. seeing parts of that violent attack <laughs> made it worse. So, yeah, yeah really I think amazing. so too. This is, I, I think this film is such an achievement, like mm. a, yeah. such an achievement. So we've all raved about Host. And if you, <laughs> if you want to see this 56-minute film, it is now available to stream on Shudder, which is a horror streaming service, which is brand new to Australia. Um, so, yes. And that and that is host, not the host. Oh, did I yeah, say the host? No, 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 you no, said no. host. Just just reiterate. It's a very, yeah, it's an yeah. easy mistake to make because I've made it. So <laughs> avoid the host. You're just listening to Primal host. Screen on Triple R. Triple R. You have been listening to Primal Screen on Triple R with Flick Ford, Paul Anthony Nelson, and myself, Sally Christie. We discussed three brand new releases. Uh, the Devil All the Time, and I'm Thinking of Ending Things, which is streaming on Netflix, and Host, which is streaming on Shudder. A special thanks to the wonderful Carl Chapman for panelling tonight's show and Morty Osborne for taking care of our podcast. Thanks for listening to Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. 